10,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we will be discussing our recent travels and probably some other stuff that comes up organically. We just wanted to connect with you all and sort of just chit chat again, but less about the news. So hi, Melody. Hey, Rachel. How are you? I haven't talked to you in so long. Like it's a, been a long time. More than a week. We were both offline pretty much. We were completely offline. Yeah. turns out there is not a lot of cell service in Alaska or in the middle of the water where I was for most of my week last week. And yeah, so we we didn't even talk about our trips really even before we started the show. So this is going to be real-time engagement with our trip reflections. How was Viking? (laughs) Well, wait, can I actually, before we start, I just want to, this is so informal. Listeners, you are getting some like, it's like you're sitting in the living room with me and Melody. This is like old school FKJ PhD. It's true when we had less of a plan and strategy. I I would also say like, we're more influenced by call your girlfriend before they got annoying personal opinion. (laughs) I would echo that. There's just a little <laughs> bit too much Hillary love over at CYG. Although fully, you know, want to shout out to, you know, Amina was having some health health issues. So, Oh, yes. And, and oh, my gosh, we're I'm, so, I'm being such a bad feminist. Like we definitely support. We're totally like obliterating their shine theory. They're amazing. They're just liberals. So that's just that's that's all I'll say about that. And they love Casper um, mattresses. So we're just a little bit <laughs> bad. Anyway, we this is going to be more of that style of just us chit-chatting. And we wrote a whole essay about how this is actually valuable to just hear ladies talking to one another. All of that said, we actually are really, really excited about the fact that we are approaching episode number 100. And on that 100th episode, we are going to unveil some really exciting things. I'm going to keep some of it a secret. But we're also going to sort of address, sort of have a state of FKJ, you know, address, like, what do they call that state of the nation address where the state of FKJ state of address. the union state of the state podcast. Of the Thank you. Yes. State of the podcast. I love it. So sort of in, in there's going to be really good, tight, awesome episodes to come. And we're still, you know, leading up to a hundred, we're still, we're going to give you good content, but just be excited. We're really excited. And we're going to put a lot of, a lot of time and energy into making a really valuable episodes for y'all. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, today, if you want to hear us chit chat and reflect on the political and social and emotional ramifications of our respective travels, that's what you're going to get today. So how is biking? How is biking? Well, I biked 187 miles, 187. Nice job. Thank you. That was very empowering. But also like any kind of big project, we did it, you know, 20 or 30 miles a day, which seems like a lot. But I think it's similar to the work that Carrot does, Carrot, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, about, you know, people will be like, I can't believe you hiked all of that way. And it's totally, I mean, it's very challenging what Carrot is doing. But you know, when you take it just a chunk at a time, it really works. I would say, Bugs were something that I dealt with, but it was interesting because I noted how the bugs were interacting with my ADHD and I just, I just took care of myself in some very weird way, not weird ways, but like, I was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. Like I need to take care of myself. So I'm going to do A, B, and C and that's going to help me like not lose my mind over all the bugs. I didn't work on the trip, which says is a lot because I work way too much, but also I wasn't feeling guilty or anxious about working. And I have some things to say about that, about like why. So that was really refreshing. Uh, the middle of Wisconsin is beautiful. I definitely felt at home. I'm from Wisconsin and somewhat nostalgic because when we were kids, my mom would like to, to go on like Sunday drives. Sorry, yeah. everybody. I 
totally contributed to climate change. Uh, so we would literally drive our car for miles and miles. But she would love to drive through the middle of Wisconsin where it's really hilly. There's lots of farms. There's a lot of Frank Lloyd mm-hmm. Wright buildings. It was just kind of nice to go back there and like be on bike as well. Yeah. And there was lots of animals around, lots of farm animals. And then when Mm. we stopped in small towns, it was really nice to chat with all the people. And we actually, it kind of turned into a mini like co-op trip. Like there was a lot of, a lot of these small Wisconsin towns have co-ops of varying degrees of success and or stature in their, in their towns. And so it was like really fun to go and talk at length with a bunch of different co-ops and how they operate. Yeah. And then we did camping. I camped outside. I know how to make fires now amazing yeah it was a, it was a good trip i had a really really good time and robert and i didn't fight at all yeah because that i mean a bike trip are you kidding any kind of trip where it's just you like you and one other person for an extended period of time is like ripe for arguments completely but we've been together long enough where i think you know our communication is strong where like if one of us is having a freak out it has nothing to do with the other person and right. we're aware of that and that you know, we come back once we've kind of come down and said, like, that's it wasn't you, it was me, you know, all that stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was patient with me doing my first bike trip. And I was just very trustworthy of him. I tend to, like, want to yeah. know what's going on at all times. But I was like, you know right. what? You know where you're going. I'm not going to qu- – I'm not questioning anything. I'm just going to follow you, you know, which is, yeah. like, very hard for me. But it actually worked out really well because then I wasn't like, are you sure we're supposed to be taking this route? Why are we taking this route? Right. Did you prep yourself? to respond in those ways? Like, did you talk about it with your therapist? Or did you think mentally? Or did that just happen organically? Funny that you asked that, because it is something that I told myself, I didn't really make a big announcement to Robert about that. But in the past, some of our arguments on bike have been about routes, like what's our route? It's like, why are we going that way? And it's but it's about city stuff. And I remember saying to him, I might have said it out loud once. And I'm like, I'm gonna let you choose the routes from now on, or I'm not going to argue with you about routes anymore, because we've gotten into some pretty big fights about it, because I've been so stubborn. And he's so stubborn about he's a geography, he was a geography major in in college. So he like loves maps, like all he does. Yeah. Like if he's on his phone, and I look over, it's like he's studying a map of like some random Mm -hmm. country, knowing that about him. It's like, why I shouldn't be second guessing him like he this is his thing. Like this is what he does is maps. And so like, I really have no business questioning what he's choosing. So I did go into it being like, I'm not going to argue with him about a route at all. That was that. And then for the other communication things, I think it's just being together for four years now. I'll say that we were having such a good time that like, it seemed silly to have an argument or my bad mood or something ruin any aspect of the trip. And I just had a really hard time at the beginning because of all the bugs. You know, he was really supportive he didn't get frustrated with me. He just kind of let me do my thing. I figured it out. And then it was good. Yeah, because yeah, I think it was just going so well that we didn't want to ruin things. But we didn't say it that way. It just kind of organically happened. So That's fabulous. One thing that I did talk with my therapist today or yesterday as we were kind of unpacking the trip as well was that I think there's also something about doing constant activity because the biking, like exercise is a really good remedy for anxiety. Back to the point about not freaking out about working, but also I think when you're biking and doing activity that whatever you know more than I do about this, like whatever it happens in your brain also would then help with interpersonal relationships if like you're riding, you know, we were like riding a lot every day. And so I think that was helping with our mental health as well. Even though it was exhausting, it let us clear our heads. I don't I don't know, the magic of exercise, I'm not really sure. You know, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said, like, I was fine not doing work, I was like, it's because she was exercising. Like, it's because she had endorphins. <laughs> because yeah. I also wasn't able to do really any work at all because I was not connected to the internet and there really wasn't an opportunity for me to get my laptop out very much in general. And I really struggled with that. Uh, not in the way, I mean, I'm, I'm, my relationship to work is, has changed since I've been dramatically, you know, underemployed by the Academy and, you know, removed from it somewhat for the past year. So it's a little bit less than like guilt. And it's much more about like, if I'm working on something that I care about, then I have at least some purpose and some value. And uh, that's what I've been struggling with so much in general this year since being underemployed and being on the cruise all week and not being able to do that work or, you know, do any, any of those things. And then, Mm -hmm 
you know, not, not really having things to, sh- there was a lot of like everybody on this trip because there was a lot of family members and, and my partner's family members that were like celebrating different things. And I had like nothing to celebrate. So I was just having a lot of, I was having a lot of emotional issues that I definitely thought were not helped by the fact that I wasn't getting very much physical activity. Like I would go to the fitness room every morning, but it was always very crowded and I like, you know, couldn't do my full yoga that I usually do. And so I like basically went for quick runs on a treadmill that hurt my knees and um, called it a day. And that's like very different Mm, from the sort of exercise. No. Um, For you. The best day of, for me... And the, but the best day of the trip was the day I got to go on a hike, which was part mm-hmm. of one of the excursions. And so, and to me, that made total sense. It's like, of course, of course, this is going to feel the best because I'm, because I'm moving. It's so, I mean, we've, we've talked about body stuff and eating disorders and exercise and all of these things. And so this is very complicated and certainly it's a privilege for both Melody and I as able-bodied people to, to do that and benefit from that. So I'm not saying that it's like, everybody should go exercise. It'll solve everything. But I am saying that like, it doesn't surprise me that you had a really good experience and that you associate it with exercise. And it doesn't surprise me that I struggled. And one of the reasons I think I struggled is that I didn't have access to the kind of physical activity that I normally do. Yeah. And it's interesting, like coming back from that about, you know, I'm not going to be able to, if I wanted to maintain that like mental health, there's no, I'm not going to bike 20 miles a day for the rest of my life, right? right? So like what I was thinking, like, well, what kind of activities can I be doing? Because I'm not one of those people that I mean, I did I was with the Y for a long time. And I did like going to the weightlifting classes and stuff. But one of the reasons I went so much is because it was so close to my house. It was like a 10 minute bike ride away. And now in the neighborhood that I live, there isn't a lot of built in exercise. So like, there's not a lot of yoga. There's like no yoga studios except for like one. And then the only why that is up on the north side is actually just for kids. That's just an interesting analysis of Mm -hmm. disparities of, you know, health and wellness. But at the same time, we have a lot of natural health and wellness areas. So we have like a lot of parks and green spaces and uh, there's a natural swimming pool, you know, so there's things that I could be doing. It's just about getting a new routine going. When I move around and I don't move very often, but even when I move from neighborhood to neighborhood, you get, you're just around different things. And because I'm not, I, I don't like to get in my car as some of you might be thinking, we'll just get into your car and drive. Like that's, I like it. I'm more likely to go if it's like a five or 10 minute bike ride away, which I used to have access to. And now I've just noticed that I'm not working out as much or not getting as much physical activity. I don't really care about like working out, but like. Right. Well, you you enjoyed a couple of a couple weeks ago when we talked, you had just been doing like tree like work. Oh, yeah. Tree stuff. Yep. Yeah. If I can get like, like that felt good. Yeah. If I can get like body movement in in a more natural way. I love that kind of stuff. But yeah. they're like, let's go to a workout class or like, let's go running. Like, that's just not my, that's just not my thing. So right, I just need right. to seek out opportunities to stay active. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a whole week of it. Yeah, it was good. Can I tell you about the the bug situation though? Because that was, yeah. this was like wild. So have you ever experienced gnats? Or I, I, I like to call them gnats. <laughs> so I call them Ganates because I have a, a, a dear friend in my life named Nat, and I'm going to actually go visit him for two weeks uh, on Saturday. And uh, I refuse to call a bug that like made me lose my mind, right. <laughs> uh, Nat, because Nat is a wonderful person in my life. Yeah. So I call him Ganates. Yeah. So in Wisconsin, in this one particular area of Wisconsin, the Ganates like swarm you mm-hmm. in your face. Bugs also love me. So, like, if we go outside, I will get the most mosquito bites out of everybody in the group, like, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And so I already am, like, bug attractive. So then the, the Giganates were, like, just all over my face when we got to our first campsite. There was, like, nothing, like, off doesn't – no, no bug spray, nothing works except for – this kind of this menthol, it's called Absorption Junior, and it's for sore muscles. Mm. And people in Wisconsin have realized that it keeps the gnats away, but that's not like what it's it was made for. It's kind right, of, you know, like right. a off side effect. I didn't have that, though, at this time. And so they were swarming me. And I was oh, like, and 
I think would annoy anybody, but something that I really struggle with that I didn't realize that other people don't struggle with as much is like noise. So if right now there was like, you know, a bulldozer outside and it was kind of muffled, I would be so distracted by that bulldozer that I wouldn't be able to concentrate on what you're saying or what I'm saying. I would like Mm -hmm. have to start over. And, and so I've learned that about myself that like noise is extra discomforting for me, like outside noises. And so. At first, I thought it was just because they were in my face all the time. But then I realized when I was plugging my ears and I couldn't hear the buzzing, like I calmed way down. Yeah. But before I got access to this like magical menthol stuff, we just – when we would stop and camp, we'd have to build fires like as fast as possible because the smoke also kept them away. So I got really good at starting fires like immediately. Yeah. And so that that helped. But (laughs) the next – after the really first – bad night where like I would just go out of the tent and they would swarm me like try to go to the bathroom while there's like just bugs swarming your face and thankfully they weren't biting me but like at that point I was like I'd rather have mosquitoes biting me because I can't stand Mm -hmm. this like noise and this like refusal for them to like leave my face yeah but then when we were leaving the next morning this is like the worst day this is like the worst time that I had on the trip I was going we were climbing up a giant hill And yes, Wisconsin has giant hills in this one region. And I'm like out of breath, right? So you're like opening up your mouth, taking huge breaths, right? With gannates all over my face. So I'm like inhaling them. And, and I was, and it was hot. We had a heat wave. This was also like a couple days before my period. And so I get really, I get really bad. There's always a day where I'm just like, I think we're on the same cycle. Did you, do you get it around the full moon? Yeah, I do. I do. Yes. Yeah. Ah. We've synced up <laughs> even though we're far away. I know. I love it. Although my <laughs> my cycle's pretty short, so we might not sync up all the mine, time. Mine is too. Oh, okay. But listeners are learning so much about us today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm climbing up this hill, inhaling Ganates, and I'm like, and I literally stop my bike and I yell, this is not fun. And I take one of my oh, paneers, oh. which is a bag connected to my bike bike rack in the back and I pick it up and I just like throw it. I don't know what to do. Like I can't climb the hill because I'm tired and hot. I can't breathe because there's grenades in my throat, but I can't stop because if you stop, then they really swarm you. So that was like the worst. So I had a mini breakdown on the way to the next Uh, town, but then we got to this tavern and we had some breakfast which was tater tots and really bad coffee i just i calmed down i basically went into like survival mode not mentally just like okay i have a bandana i'm gonna wear it over my mouth and my ears at all times if i need to like i just started wearing a bandana so then that way anytime i'd stop i could put it over my mouth and then i started like plugging my ears too and i looked like I don't know what I look like to stranger, you know, passersby, but it's like, I didn't care anymore because I was like, yeah. this is driving me. What? I just can't. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I did. I even got earplugs to help. Yeah. And I think with people that are on the spectrum and people with ADHD, some people, I like, I love earplugs. I love noise canceling headphones. Like mm-hmm. I've just, I'm kind of coming into this very late about learning about this kind of, this part of me, but yeah. I'm also now like, I think part of it is that when you when you have a mental health thing that is undiagnosed or you're in denial about it or you're just not sure, you think the whole time that something's wrong with you and like mm-hmm. or you think that like why isn't everybody, everybody Yeah. Yes. Well finish your thought. Sorry, I didn't Well that was... like why isn't everybody else freaking out about it the same way? Right. Like something's wrong with it's right. like like how are you what now that I've read more about ADHD and anxiety and all this other stuff. It's like, oh, okay, there's some people that like they can't handle loud noises and that's why they carry noise canceling headphones with them or that's why they wear earplugs. And I just like throw my earplugs in whenever I want to. And that's not a, I guess socially that might seem a little strange, but it helps my anxiety so much and like my ability to focus that it's like, I don't, like, I don't care. Like I'm. Just wanted to interrupt myself to tell you about the ways that you can get in touch with us offline and online. Make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe to us, duh. Choose your favorite podcast app and search for us, Feminist Killjoys PhD. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you have that iTunes app. It's an easy and quick way to do that. On social media, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook. 
Facebook, we have a general page where you can follow us. But if you want to get deeper into conversations, you can join our closed community group, which is Feminist Killjoys Community WTF Power exclamation point. You can find us there. On Spotify, we have a mixtape titled Feminist Killjoys PhD Mixtape, and Rachel keeps that updated. Thank you, Rachel. If you have extra dollars and you want to support us feminist media makers, thank you so much to the supporters that we have. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The emails keep coming in with new supporters. If you join us on Patreon, you get stickers, you get access to bonus episodes if you donate $5 or more a month. We're getting some other fun goodies to give away to you all, so we're going to up our game because y'all are upping your game, so thank you so much to you that support us. If you want to find our Patreon page, you can search for us on Patreon or just go to our website, which is fkjphd.com and you'll find a Patreon logo. If you just want to give us a one-time donation, which we also super appreciate, there is a birdie that you can click on and that will direct you to our PayPal. If you want to get in in touch with us directly, you can email us at guess what fkj.phd at gmail.com. You can just start guessing where to find us. And then call us. Hello. Call us. Leave us a voicemail. 414-858-7818. That's a US number. Okay, back to me talking more with Rachel. And that was something else that I talked to Robert a lot about on the trip was that like I don't care it's nice being older now. By older, I mean totally. in my 30s because I'm really confident with who I am. Like, I'm like, this is who I am. This is, I don't, this, I wear the clothes that don't, doesn't give me like intestinal acid yep. reflux. <laughs> and right. I don't care. I will yeah. wear earplugs. I will wear a weird hat so my eyes don't yep. hurt. Like, I just really don't care. Yeah. And I find ways to be cute about it. Like, I don't, it's not awful, but it's, there's so much freedom. I feel a lot of freedom in my life at this point of like, oh, man, I really don't care about that stuff anymore. That's a nice feeling. And I just really wish that other people could get there faster. Because, you know, you see younger people like that are posturing and performing. I mean, oh, yeah. And I did all that, too. It's the insecurity. Yeah. Completely. like, oh, God. I saw a meme once that was like, I just connected to so much. It said, in your 20s, you walk into a room and are afraid that nobody will like you. And in your 30s, you walk into a room and are afraid that you're not going to like anybody there. <laughs> Any, yep. Like anybody. Yep. <laughs> and it's just so true. Like, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, and it is, it's so liberating. And I'm not saying that I, I mean, I, you know, I still, I'd, I'd rather go to a grocery store, not in my gym clothes, for example. But like, I also. Sure, Yeah. I will go to a grocery store in my gym clothes, like, and it's fine. <laughs> so, you know, there are still, but that's just because I'm femme more than because I, it's less about caring what other people think and more it's like my gender identity is not being represented the way I want it to be represented, um, which is about how I feel, not how totally. other people see, you know. I got you. So, yeah, it is, it is a liberating feeling. And I'm glad that that helped you take care of yourself <laughs> by, by doing things that may have looked a little odd. But I just realized that, like, if I actually take care of myself and do those things that might not seem, quote unquote, normal, how much better it made me feel. And it's like, why am I not doing this all the time? You know, like, I had to be pushed to, like, the extremes to get there. That's my innate story. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about your trip, though. Like, I don't know. I've never been on a cruise. And I've never been to Alaska. So what's that about? I want to try to – I mean, there's – there's so much I could talk about, but I like I, I feel like I should break it down in, in categories. So the first I kind of already talked about sort of just mental health and um, wellness on the cruise. So exercise was limited, although walking around the boat, I got I didn't wear like a step tracker, but I probably walked a lot, but that didn't kick my endorphins in necessarily. And then also food was pretty tough. So as a vegan who eats, a you know, is I don't want to say health conscious because I don't like thinking about the morality of health, whatever. But I I prefer eating, you know, whole foods and vegetables and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they there just wasn't a lot of options for me in general. And I don't need to get into details of that, but it was just like not great eating situation. I'm starting with like the sort of n- negative stuff, which is all wrapped up in the fact that I know that this was like an in- wild privilege for me to to do this thing that cost a ton of money that I did get financial help from my partner, my uncle and my, my partner's family, really like there was, it was a collective effort so that I could also help pay for my mom's portion of the trip. So this that's like, first and foremost, 
I am acknowledging that, but that's also sort of one of the things that was really, really hard for me. So the awareness that I was on this thing that is really reserved for people who are middle and upper class, as I've discussed many times on the show, something I struggle with in my life is navigating spaces that really are for middle class people and being a person who not only has experiences from my past, sort of, you know, being working class and having a mom who's who's struggling right now, but also who personally is is ha- the past year has been has been financially struggling as well. So it was really difficult to sort of be in in like luxury and know now granted most of it was back paid, so I didn't need to spend a ton of money on the trip, but it was still like pricey. It's not like everything was included. That was also really difficult. So, you know, completely counter to your trip, which was probably like, what, under $100 or something for the whole thing? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we stopped, we could have done it cheaper. I mean, we did stop at taverns Mm -hmm. and like get a beer and some snacks. But no, it was really affordable. And as you were talking, another thing that I liked about my trip is the people that we were connecting with, we were in small towns, Mm -hmm. you know, so we weren't dealing with suburb there's no suburbs i just felt really right. comfortable with the people yeah so yeah. as you were talking i was like oh yeah. yeah that's probably another reason yeah the people i mean you what know, kind of people were on? can you just do stereotypey so, thing just so because i know it's hard to i mean large like almost 100 percent white i would i mean i shouldn't say 100 percent. it was that's why i said almost it mm-hmm. it wasn't all white but it was largely white people you know who clearly have to have some level of income although i'm sure my mom and i were not the only people on the trip who were there by sort of help you know mm-hmm. so there you know there could have been a sprinkling of economic difference but largely people who who are who have some kind of financial comfortability you know i would say it, it wasn't like all se- like a lot of people sort of stereotype cruises as things for old people. There were a lot of, you know, seniors, but not exclusively. Like there were a lot of families. I, I will say like, I mean, Logan and I keep our eye, we have like our, you know, they, we, jo- you know, Gator is the sort of joke. We keep our eyes peeled for queer people. And we actually found quite a few queer people. There was like a really cute, there was, it was like a sort of a middle-aged lesbian couple. And then both of them brought their like older moms. And one of the moms was from Hawaii. And came up and talked to us like every time she saw us at this like one bar that we both ended up in on the boat. And she was just really sweet. But it, you know, it was like these two older moms like supporting their lesbian daughters. And it was just it was cute. So Aww. intergenerational kind yeah. of family trip. We got some fun connections and met some fun people. We definitely bonded with the people uh, that we went hiking with. That was a good experience. To we, we talked to some the two guides were local to Juneau, which is where we did the hike. Met some, I met a nice barista at, in Ketchikan where I got the best latte of my life. That was a, that was like a peak moment of the of the trip. I actually surprisingly got the best iced latte I've ever had in Ketchikan, Alaska. Wow! Um, did you get that at so, Caribou Coffee or? <laughs> yeah, I did not. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I think it was called Raven something. Raven is an important bird in Alaska and in cool. indigenous culture there. The cruise ship is, I mean, it's it doesn't attract, you know, a person of my politics or interests. And it is largely designed to like sell you shit, even though you've already given them lots oh, of, interesting. You know, of dollars. Yeah, everything you go to. So there's events on the cruise Every basically every half hour, you can find something to do on this cruise that holds three thousand people. That is a lot of people. It was a, it was a lot of people, and half of it looks like a mall. There's like jewelry stores, and then like clubs and casinos, and different bars and different restaurants. And sort of every event you go to, there's probably going to be a pitch that they're going to try to sell you something. So it feels like kind of like you're getting infomercials wrapped up in like learn about the precious gems of Alaska, but instead of like teaching you like cool, magical gem qualities or something about, you know, indigenous culture related to or or like bad mining practices, they're going to say like, isn't this diamond pretty? Here's how you can buy it. You know, it's going to be like largely kind of bullshit like that. And then sprinkled in with trivia, Harry Potter trivia or whatever, just like very sort of run of the mill stuff that was fine. And like for a family trip, I sound like I'm shitting all over this. I'm just trying to like I I had just like, you know, a critical lens throughout the whole thing and was feeling, feeling, feeling. So I don't think I will go on a cruise again. I also got really seasick one day, which was unpleasant. I will say for Alaska and for a group of people that like didn't solely want to hike, that it was the way to do Alaska because it meant that, you know, my mom and others on the trip who who weren't able to sort of physically 
walk very far or, you know, do very active things. We could, the, the boat literally dropped us off at, you know, three different locations. And there were, there were shuttles that could take us into the different parts of town that some of them were really kitschy touristy stuff, but others were, you know, we got to, we got to see sort of more of what life was like in these, in these different areas. And that was my favorite part was sort of bearing witness to the ways that indigenous tribes have maintained culture and land in Alaska in ways that I think is uncommon in the rest of the U.S., at least in places that I've visited. And so that was really lovely, but it was also complicated because they have a lot of agency in creating tourism culture around their culture. And I'm not saying that they're like being duped by capitalists to sell their culture to these tourists, because I think there is a I mean, we heard that there was a lot of agency in the fact that tourism helps keep these communities thriving. And yet also, it did feel a little exploitative to be on this land and being like, can I buy a totem pole from you? So I I had a lot of struggles with that. I posted on the FKJ Facebook group, for sort of just, hey, smart, anti-racist, anti-imperialist, anti-colonization, feminist, can you help me process my guilt around this? Mm-hmm. And there was some really good discussion. And I, th- I think the bottom line of the discussion thread, too, was that it is complicated and that it is both unfortunate that these sort of groups that have been exploited by white supremacy and colonialism are now in a position where they have to sort of sell things back to (sighs) white people that destroyed their land. And yet also in the current system, it's actually quite good for them for, for us to engage it, you know, for white people with, with money basically to give them our money. And I really went out of my way to make sure that I only gave money to, because there was definitely parts of these tourist towns that were not, selling things by native folks and were definitely owned by white store owners. Mm-hmm. And I went out of my way to not buy, you know, give any money to, to those spaces. But yeah, I mean, it was complicated. And I mean, it's, we talked, you talked about this on the episode when you read Jamaica Kincaid's The Ugly Tourist. Mm-hmm. It was, it felt really weird politically to be, like I said, sort of bearing witness to this culture and also feeling like I was participating in colonial tourism, even though it's also beneficial economically to these communities. So, I mean, those were sort of, that's like the negative, I would say the most negative stuff was like, just like my own sort of personal, emotional, mental health being not not having sort of optimal health and wellness conditions. And then also sort of having family, family feelings and um, who I love very much. I just have a lot of heavy and complicated feelings about my family and juxtaposed to my partner's family, who I also love very much, but just there's class differences as I've, as I've discussed on the show before. And then also feelings around economics and then also feelings around colonialism were the three things that felt most difficult. And like, yeah, the cruise was not ideal, but the good stuff was that my mom had a great time. The nature is fucking beautiful. The water is fucking beautiful. And I felt very, uh, the older I get, the more and more I want to connect to nature. I, when I was a young kid, I, I did a lot in nature. I, we had woods in the backyard and I would like go play in the Creek. I was like a dirty kid that liked, you know, being outside and that sort of faded. And I became like a city, like a self-identified city person. And uh, now I feel like, like an actual longing to be, to be in nature. And I think I'm going to definitely incorporate sort of more of my witch practice with nature, which I hadn't been doing much of other than crystals that may or may not be ethically mined. So I'm trying to review that too. (laughs) So yeah, it was being in nature was beautiful, which I guess is a similarity that, that we had in our, in our trips. Probably one of the only similarities was, was being able to sort of be amidst something that is really wondrous and humbling and makes me feel like a little less terrible about the world, even though then I think about how we're destroying it. But it's just lovely to be in in that those open spaces. We had a similar discussion, Robert and I. I would also like listeners to know that Daniel has joined the conversation. He was very anxious to get into the room to talk about nature um, as he spends a lot of time outside now that it's nice out. Um, he also clearly missed me because I closed a door and he was not allowed <laughs> to sit next to me. So just in case he speaks up, we do have a somebody that has joined our conversation. But we were also talking about 
the form of nature that we were biking through too, and that we almost said something identical. Robert actually said something almost identical to what you said that like it makes us to see all of that untouched land, um, knowing mm-hmm. that you know on the outskirts of that land there is a lot of destruction. But at least the land that we were looking at was farmed by very small farms. There was a lot of Amish people there taking care of the land without any kind of oil or electricity. If people aren't familiar with the Amish, they are, I wouldn't, you know, they're not indigenous, but they are definitely similar to any kind of culture that has tried to stay close to the land and has yeah. kind of stayed, has has rejected a lot of technical advances actually since the Industrial Revolution. So they farm using horses and tractors that are pulled just by horses. Uh, they get around by bicycle and horses. So that was awesome because we would see like Amish people on bicycles. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. so friendly to us, you know, because we were choosing the Amish way of transportation. They're just really great people. But at and at any rate, we were also talking about how amazing it was to see all of this land that wasn't developed, that mm-hmm. either was not even farmed, but just like giant forests and rock formations. Yeah. And like it does, okay, there is some land that is like not totally destroyed. <laughs> right. Like there is right. there is a chance. Although in Alaska, I can't even imagine because how beautiful it must be up there, but also like that is like one of the ground zeros of climate change. Completely, you know? yeah. So it was it was a mix. But any of the guides that were speaking to to nature specifically would, of course, mention that that mm-hmm. it is being desecrated. But you know, I could only see as far as my eyes could, and so I was able to like see only stuff that still existed. You know, even though I know the reality of it, it like you said when you're when you're just seeing this part that is untouched and that is alive and that is seemingly thriving it just feels like heartening even though i know it's worse than that or it's at risk yeah it was a lot but i'm glad i went i'm grateful i'm super fucking grateful that i had the privilege to go even though i had all these complicated feelings around it and i you know inevitably feel a little bit of guilt that I got to participate in something that so many people would never get to participate in, but it also meant that my mom got to, and that, you know, makes it totally worth it for me. So yeah, I was going to say it's for your mom. So yeah, you know, that helps right there. And especially with accessibility and the things that we were talking about with carrot. One thing we didn't talk about, and just real quick, as we finish up today, how did you feel about not being connected to social media for so long? Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that with you. It was mixed. There were some days that I was super happy to not be on Twitter or Facebook or hear the latest on the news. And like I would go to the gym and, you know, there would be like MSNBC or whatever on the TV on the treadmill or something. And I would just see like the same, you know, just the same bullshit. There's nothing valuable for me here. I can't do anything about the stupid thing that Trump said. I will say that, I mean, I think social media, like the only things in my life right now that give my like give my identity purpose and meaning, I feel like are very connected to the Internet. And like I do a lot of writing and sort of I feel like sort of storytelling on Instagram sometimes in a way that feels like actually valuable to who I am and the work I'm trying to do in the world as like a writer. So I felt more of a loss than a gain from from being removed, to be totally honest. And I don't think that it's only part of it is because I know like most people in our culture, at least of our generation are I like am definitely addicted to my to my phone and to the internet, I think less than some other people like I'm very capable of, I'll sometimes like forget my phone in a car or at home. And like, I won't even notice until like halfway through a meal when somebody picks up their phone in the middle of, you know, talking and I'm like, Oh, now is the time that I would also pick up my phone, but I don't have it and it's not that big of a deal. But even though I do have an addiction to it, I, I actually think the reason I missed it was less about the addiction and more about the actual positive benefits I get. And I actually think that, again, since I wasn't having a very good mental health week on the cruise, I actually think the internet could have maybe helped me, which I think is counter to what a lot of people think. But those those are my surface level thoughts. What yeah, about you? I feel uh, to your point about... The creating the narratives online, I think it's a really important creative outlet. And then if you mm-hmm. lose that, you're like, oh, I want to tell a story in a really yeah. interesting way. It's like a, it's a creative outlet, especially with totally. the way that we can create snaps and Instagram stories mm-hmm. and tweets and stuff. It's not just about being online and getting the likes or the retweets. It's about 
being creative and yourself. Yeah. And how am I going to present this idea? So it's like, if I wanted to do a story about the Ganates, right? Like I would think through like, how do I want to present that? And so, yeah, definitely like losing that part was, well, for me, like, you know, we're different in this regard, but I definitely felt that loss of not being able to create narratives. And like, I like, oh, I have this drive to share with people. And kind of thinking through, you know what? It wasn't that long ago where we couldn't share with all of our friends what we were doing instantly. And like, what would we do? You know, it's like, there's a lot of things that our friends just like didn't know about our daily lives for better or worse. But I will say, though, that there was some times that I did get service. And when I was having a hard time sleeping, even though I didn't have any data left on my phone, like I would still look at Twitter to kind of as like a comforting thing. Mm. But then I also realized that within those days on Twitter, there's all these big hubbubs that happen. Right. But if you're not on Twitter every day, you're missing most of them. But you're but, you know, at the end of the week, I still knew what was going on exactly in the world. Yeah. It's it's interesting when you kind of come in and out of it. One day yeah. you can be so in on social media and like know everything. But then when you're like three days later, you're like, nobody's talking about that anymore. Right, right. Like, was that actually it's- important for me to like spend an hour tweeting on? I don't know. Totally. Yeah. No, that I think that perspective, I definitely also felt that too. That ex- exactly sentiment that you just described. I do really quickly want to say, though, that I've been like oversharing on the internet since fucking live Zanga. journal wait what did you say even before like zanga even before live journal did you have a zanga no it might have been simultaneous to live journal but for me it was pre my live journal and then i, I went from zanga to live journal cool. so that was in high school and so i've and i've also written like i'm i mean i could so i wrote in notebooks prior to the internet mm-hmm. because i you know i feel like i've always kind of you know i would journal before totally. i publicly journaled but as soon as i got that ability to journal on the internet. I fucking did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I haven't had that creative outlet. And that's a good point. So, yeah. So that's, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. I wonder yeah. what our live journal post meant. Like, did you read that? Like, is she talking about David or like what? <laughs> exactly. Oh, Although so my live good. journal, one thing I did like about that is that there was no, I had zero, there was nothing about building a brand. There was nothing nope. about if I try to get a book deal someday, how is this going to like support that? Mm-hmm. You know, there was no ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. And I was actually glad that I had a really small following, which has been the case for me on social media for up until this past year when I was like, oh, if I'm not in academia, maybe I'll have to like build myself as a writer. And I actually care about a following because book publishers care about that, etc. I've always I remember my students being like, don't like we delete pictures if we don't get so many likes on a picture. Yeah. And I was like, I fucking prefer when only like 10 people see my photos. Like I don't want people I used to actually be like a lot more invested in privacy than I am now. My my profile used to be private on Instagram. And so it it, it really like you said, it really is less about the likes and more about the fact that I had this outlet to like say things in a way that felt creative and authentic and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and about political stuff, too, but also just about, you know, my day, whatever. Yeah. So, also, shout out yeah. to Live Journal and that era where, like, you could be anonymous if you wanted to. Live Journal, mm-hmm. nobody knew who Raspberry Swirl 278 was. Was that your name? No, I just made that oh. up. <laughs> Do you remember your name? No, I don't. I'd have to think about it. I remember, can I share my names? So on Zanga, I oh was gosh. X Lip Gloss X. <laughs> and <laughs> I can't believe you got that username. Yeah. You were an I mean, early adopter of Zenga, that's I was, for sure. I sure was. I wasn't even fucking straight edge. I just thought it looked punk. Oh, yeah. Um, I totally remember that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um, I mean, I was kind of straight edge in high school. I didn't I didn't drink until like the last week of senior year, but I wasn't like straight edge identified. And then Live Journal was X Be Still My Heart X also had the X's. Nice. So, yeah. I think my mine my, my live journal might have been Police Me because that was a Hey Mercedes song that I was really mm-hmm. into. Yes. Yeah, song lyrics. I mean, Be Still My Heart was the Mira lyric. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Gotta do the song lyrics. <laughs> God. Those <laughs> were those were the days. They were honestly they yeah. fucking were. They yeah. were the fucking days. Okay. Speaking of music. What are you reading, watching, and listening to? Reading, watching, and listening with Rachel and Melody. It's so pretty. 
my brother sings that to me sometimes. It makes me feel <laughs> very loved. So I'm having a soft memory on the trip of me making up a lot of jingles and like that's become part of my identity now. Please don't give Melody and ideas for jingles because I just make up jingles <laughs> wherever I am. So at any rate, um, yeah, no, I was I was reading we would stop at co-ops. And so I'd always pick up the local papers, see what's going on. But I, I actually have been on a more personal tip. I've been reading a lot about caretaking for parents, because uh, my mom is has been in the hospital, she's not doing very well. And so one of my my, uh, I don't know, strength finder things is like I'm a learner. So if I'm like going through something, like I just want to read about it. Like that's how I that's one of my coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to read a lot about how to take care take care of older parents who are sometimes difficult. Love you, mom. Yeah, so I'm reading stuff like that. Watching the WNBA, the Lynx are playing. They haven't been doing too well this season yet, but I've been watching those games. We actually watched one of the games in a bar. We got Wi-Fi and we watched oh. a game on our phone yeah. because it's 2018. And then um, I've been listening to the Bike Trip mixtape that I made on Spotify. Spotify, it's this like really cool app. <laughs> but I made a mixtape for check it bike- out. yeah. <laughs> cool. What kind of stuff is on there? Name some bands. Well, we have some of our songs. So there's a POS song on there. We have lots of Bon Iver, Lizzo, Sisters with Voices. I'm so into you. I don't know. Do you know that song? Don't know I what think I do, yeah. I'm gonna I did, like, do. Stuff like that, like hype well, up, hype up music. And then I had a couple songs for disasters. So the new Decemberist album has a couple. One of them ooh, is. Is it good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. it's a like classic Decemberist album with a little bit of like electronic prog rock stuff, okay. but like it's okay. it's a legit uh, Decemberist album. That gives me their first album I had on vinyl. I played it in my undergrad dorm, and all the tears flowed. Oh my god, he's such the a good end. songwriter, and he has a beautiful voice. And but there's a couple ones about how everything is awful, and so when I would like do something because I would like spill, st- I don't know, I'm just a mess sometimes, and so <laughs> I would just like play that song. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. So I had some thematic songs just in case something went bad. And I I utilized them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, So you. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Nope. I was going to ask. No, you go. Did you download that Spotify playlist so that you would have access to it? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. this thing called Spotify. You can download the songs. It's yeah, and my phone has a lot of. I when I got my when I got my last smartphone, I made sure it had a lot of storage. So yeah, for that reason, yeah. well, not for Spotify, but just the yep. data. You don't want that data. What about oh, you? I'm finally reading. I've owned this for a while and have been wanting to read it forever since it came out. How We Get Free by Kianga Yamada Taylor, which is a both it, it contains the original Combahee River Collective statement, awesome. um, which is a very important black feminist text that former guest Shireen mentioned when mm-hmm. she was on. So it, it, it contains that text. And then it also has interviews with some with some of the original members. And awesome. it's this beautiful reflection on like what that text can offer to, you know, contemporary movements. And it's 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 amazing. So finally reading that it's wonderful. Watching also finally, I started Wild Wild Country. I watched the first episode a while ago and finally getting back to it. And have you heard of this documentary? I Well, somebody mentioned it. I think Carrot maybe mentioned it. I've not seen it though. Okay. It is pretty fascinating. I think you should watch it. I think you and Robert would be interested I think in it. it. So you should also watch it. Maybe we can do a bonus up on it because there's a lot to talk about. Okay. Like a lot to talk about. Yeah. Cool. So not finished with it yet though. So there's that. And then listening, I didn't wasn't smart enough to or forward thinking enough to download anything on Spotify. So on the boat, I had like no music. Oh, no. But listen, this is kind of sweet. So I was the the day we got into Seattle was where we got on the boat. We had like a night in Seattle and then got on the boat in the morning. Um, I was finishing editing the Queer Appalachia episode, which shout out to Mamone and that episode it's one of my favorites of our of mm-hmm. our collection. I just loved it so much, and I yeah. think other people did too. So shout out to that. But I was editing that episode, and I decided to use the Stolly Parton song at the end called uh, Poor Folks Town. And the sentiment is that there's rich folks. The lyric is, come on down, take a look around to rich folks live in, in a poor folks town. And the idea is that these poor people are actually very rich because they have love in their life and mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And it's the sweetest, sweetest song that makes my heart fucking melt. And I had the file on my computer um, downloaded because that's what I had to do for editing. So it was literally the only song I had on my computer. So like when I was feeling really emo on the ship about like including about economics, I just like listened to that song on repeat and cried. (laughs) That is so perfect. 
Also yeah, sad, but very perfect. But it really was because it's also kind of an upbeat song. So mm-hmm. I was like having really sad tender moments, but also like feeling a lot of love about having feelings about being poor and <laughs> things like that, which mm-hmm. I should not say about myself. I'm 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 not poor, but I relate to the sentiment all the same. So that song on repeat. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that's that. Good talk. We will be back next week with something a little more formal than this. But listeners, please do stay tuned for episode 100 coming up in a couple weeks where we are going to do some awesome real talk and unveil a lot of cool shit. And it's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, WTF. Power. Power.